Good morning, church. How is everybody doing this morning? How many of you parents are excited about summertime? How many parents, your teenagers have jobs this summer? This is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a great thing when your kids can work. Well, Ellen asked, you know, how we're surviving the heat. How Nicole survives the heat is she puts more clothes on. Arizona girl, she's always ready for the heat, so it's exciting. Hey, I just have, uh, it, it is offering time. Amen, it's offering time, friends. Uh, you know, for uh, practical ways for us to give here at the church, we know that we can give on our website, thecitychurch.ca, and then through our church app. And if you're here in the room, there's offering envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you, and you can give um, at the giving kiosk at the back of the auditorium. And just to remind you about the legacy offering that we are receiving uh, during this legacy series, and it's the legacy offering is all about making an impact through generosity. And as I have been talking about every week during this series, uh, the four areas that we're going to make an impact through our generosity is the big C church in Canada. For us to be able to invest and bless other churches in Canada, come alongside them as they are growing and as they are having buildings built in all these different areas. We are so excited. We love the church in Canada. The church in Canada are not our competitors. They are our family. So we love to invest in other local churches. And then a local impact. We want to partner with other organizations that are doing great things here in our city in very practical ways. As we talked about the food bank that we invest in um, on a monthly basis, but then also through our legacy offering. And then internationally, uh, investing in ministries, uh, specifically Good News Ministries, which is helping uh, Helping plant churches in Europe and in Italy. They have Bible schools. They have a ministerial organization. And then through Samaritan's Purse. If you want more detail about what we are doing with our legacy offering or what we have accomplished through our legacy offering, you can go back to week one of this series. I give a greater detail about what we have accomplished and what we are going to be accomplished, accomplishing. And then the final thing that we're doing with the legacy offering is that we're going to be updating our building and you know our renovations for our bathrooms upstairs almost fully complete by next Sunday, you'll be able to go up there and be in awe of how beautiful these bathrooms are and how amazing my wife is at design. All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give if you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. How many know that God is a generous God? that everything that we have in our lives has come from God. So we are so glad to be able to give back our tithes and offerings to him today, honor him and worship him. So let's just pray today. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness in our lives today. We bless you today. We honor you with our tithes and offerings. We're so thankful, Lord, about how generous you are to us, that you supply all of our needs. And thank you, Lord, that your grace is abounding toward us so that we can continue to be generous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, just a couple announcements before we introduce our speaker this morning. Um, our City Youth Summer is gonna be starting real soon, uh, actually July 8th, and we have just 
an amazing array of events coming up this summer for our students from grade six to grade 12. Now, parents, if your student is moving into grade six this fall, they are invited to be part of City Youth Summer. And so for parents of those grades six to 12, we have this card that we have made special for you so that you can know what's going on every week uh, to help you plan and prepare for those things. So this card is available at the info desk. And then young adults, we are having our barbecue immediately after the second service this morning. So if you are in that age bracket, 18 to 35, single or married, uh, we invite you to our young adults barbecue. So, you know, when first service ends, it's not time for lunch anyway. So you can just run down to Starbucks or Tim's or whatever, hang out there for an hour. And if you're back here about 12, 15, we're gonna get the barbecue started immediately after the service. You can just meet in the lobby and then you guys are all gonna head to the back and Calvin is gonna be your grill master today. So we'll see how good he is at barbecuing. Well, we have a special speaker with us this morning, Pastor Whit George uh, from Church on the Move. And we are super blessed to have him. You know, their church has done so many things to help our church. They uh, led a conference for many years called Seeds. And my wife and I were able to go down there and our team was able to go down and learn um, from all of the stuff that they are doing down there in Tulsa. And uh, it was just my nephew, Sam, actually works at Pastor Witt's church at one of their locations down there in, Tul- in the Tulsa area. So, and Sam connected me with Pastor Witt. He was supposed to be here in 2020 in June, but nobody was here in June 2020, so we couldn't have Pastor Witt here, but we are excited to have him this morning. His wife, Heather, is actually with him on this trip and she'll be here in second service. They have five kids. Amen. Wow. <laughs> so let's give a City Church welcome to Pastor Witt as he comes to the stage this morning. Well, hey, good morning, City Church. So good, honestly, so good to be with you guys. I was just um, standing on the front row a few minutes ago just thinking of how beautiful it is to gather with God's people in the Toronto area. It's amazing because when you think about it, there are millions of people. No, No other organization on planet Earth will have millions of people gathering this morning but the Church of Jesus Christ, all gathering in different cities, in different backgrounds all around the world for one reason and one reason only, to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship him because we're people who've been transformed by Jesus. Can I get an amen this morning, City Church? So it's an honor, honestly, to be with you all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Did I hear you say you're surviving this heat? You guys are a bunch of wusses, I tell you. Tulsa's way, way worse than this. Uh, as Pastor Brent said, I pastor a church on the move, which ironically has been meeting in the same location for the past 30 years, uh, even though our name is Church on the Move. And um, my dad started Church on the Move 35 years ago next month. In fact, the weekend of July 4th, uh, we will celebrate 35 years as a church. Uh, and I will be, I will celebrate or have an anniversary of five years as pastor there. So five years ago, I took over for my dad, and so I know something of what it is to, to kind of pastor in a legacy, and that's the series that you guys are in. That's the season that you're in. I love the legacy offering that you're doing because that's what a legacy is all about. It's really about what you leave behind. It's how your life impacts the lives of people around you and even the generations that come after you. And so what I want to do this morning is just talk about maybe three ways I think we leave a legacy 
out of uh, a passage of scripture that you'll all know really well, Psalm 23. So I'm going to go ahead and put Psalm 23 up on the screen. I would love for us this morning as we kind of jump into God's word together to read this passage out loud. Some of you, this will be really familiar. Maybe others of you may be sort of familiar. But we're going to read this out loud together and walk through the whole thing. It's only, what, six, seven verses. We're going to read the whole thing together. And then I'll pray, and then we'll kind of jump in, because I think there's three thoughts in this that, uh, I don't know, give us a, a picture of how God fathers us and impacts us, and how I think we can do the same for the world around us and the community around us and the people that God has entrusted us with, all right? So let's put Psalm 23 up on the screen, and if you can read it up there, uh, let's read it out loud together. You ready? Just read along with me. Here we go. Wait a minute, well, this is not the beginning of Psalm 23, this is uh, verse four. Can you go to the verse one? The Lord is my shepherd, do you have that verse? There we go, thank you, all right. Let's start at the beginning, all right, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that have been preserved for us for thousands of years that give us a picture of your character, your nature, who you are, how you love us, how you watch over us, how you are with us. Father, in seeing you, we see ourselves more clearly. We see who we're to be because you're who we want to be. We want to be like Jesus. And we see his character so reflected in the words of Psalm 23 that David penned so many years ago. Father, I, I pray that as we look at who you are, we would get a clearer picture today of who we need to be, how we can leave a legacy. We want to be a people of legacy, Lord, because we're following a legacy. The whole reason we're gathering is because of the legacy that you're leaving. And, and we're just your people, your community, still following you these thousands of years after you came. And so, Lord, we thank you that today you'll speak to us. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Speak to hearts in this room in just the way that they need to hear from you. Teach and instruct and enlighten and, and give revelation, Lord, like only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Amen. Amen. So there's three thoughts, I think, three pictures of who God is that show up for me in Psalm 23. Of course, we could teach a whole series out of Psalm 23, but we're just going to teach three thoughts today that I think not only give us a picture of who God is, but also who we're to be. If we're really God's kids and we're made in the image of God, then you'll never know yourself without first knowing who God is. If you want to understand yourself, you have to understand who God is. And so as we look at God's nature, his character, we get a picture of who we're to be as well, how we're to live. And so there's three thoughts that kind of come out of Psalm 23 for me, power, presence, and place. I want to talk about those three. So I'm going to jump right in talking about power. 
The opening line of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, gives us uh, an interesting juxtaposition. Here we see David defining God both in his grandeur, his, his infinite uh, nature, but also in his servanthood. The Lord is my shepherd. We read right over those words because they're so familiar to us, but it's really amazing what David is doing here in this juxtaposition of terms. This term here, the Lord, is not just a, a name for God or, or, or perhaps a title for God. It is his, his specific name that he gave Moses when Moses encountered God at the burning bush. Do you remember this story? Moses is at the burning bush and God is calling Moses to go to Egypt where he will tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses then asks, who should I say is sending me? What is your name? And God gives Moses or his name, Yahweh. It means I am that I am. It's a name that speaks to God's infinite nature. It's a name that speaks to God's self-sufficiency. I am that I am. In other words, I, I, I need no other power because I have all power. I need no other wisdom. I need not rely on any other wisdom because I have all wisdom. I am that I am. God is saying he is self-sufficient. He is complete in himself, which means, by the way, that he doesn't change. Because it's our incompleteness that causes us to change. You change because you need something. But if you're complete, then you have no need to change. Therefore, God, this Yahweh, is truly the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see that this is a God who has no beginning and no end. This name then speaks to the grandeur and majesty of this great God. By the time of Jesus, the Jews so reverenced the name Yahweh, they would not even say it out loud. It was holy. And yet David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Now this is staggering when you think about it because to be a shepherd is not like a high position in society. A shepherd is a job no one else wanted. Now, where I'm from in Oklahoma, we don't, we don't really have shepherds. So this is kind of an unfamiliar uh, job for us. It, it is something that I have to kind of help my people sort of wrap their minds around. A shepherd is the job that no one wanted. Uh, whenever Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse, you remember this in the Old Testament, to anoint Israel's next king. And he would eventually anoint David as the king of Israel, who would write these words in Psalm 23. But when he came to Jesse's house, David wasn't there. All of his other sons, Jesse's other sons, were lined up for Samuel to inspect and potentially anoint to be the next king of Israel. David wasn't there. Why wasn't he there? Anybody know why he wasn't there? He was out taking care of the sheep. Why? Because he was the youngest. And it was a job that had been passed down from oldest son to next oldest to next oldest to next oldest to next oldest. So finally, it lands on David. Uh, as Pastor Brent said, I, I have five kids. And, or my wife and I have five kids. And um, she's the one that really deserves all the credit for that. And, um, but she, yeah, so we have five kids. My oldest daughter, Lucy, is uh, second in line uh, in our family. And uh, 
for years in our family, she held the duty of washing dishes. We have different, you know, chores in, in the family, and, and my sons take out the trash and have had to do the lawn different times, things like that. But my daughter had to wash the dishes, and she hated this job, absolutely hated doing it. It frustrated her. She didn't like doing it. She would con- regularly complain to my wife, Heather, why do I have to do this? How long do I have to do this? Heather would reply, until you can do it with a good attitude. But she did this for years, waiting for finally, she would say, when is it going to be someone else's turn to do this job? Well, on her 18th birthday, she just turned 18 in March. On her 18th birthday, she got many gifts from my, my parents and Heather's dad, and we gave her, you know, gifts. Of course, it's 18th birthday, significant birthday. But you know the most significant gift she got? <laughs> Heather finally transferred that job to her younger brother, Elliot. Of all the things she received, she was so glad to get rid of dishwashing duty. That's what it was to be a shepherd. I'm finally done with this. It's now your job. It would be passed down from son to son to son. No one wanted to do it because it was a difficult and messy job. You had to live with the sheep. Think about that for a second. Shepherds live with their sheep. Times are good, times are bad, shepherds with the sheep. Weather's nice, weather's terrible, shepherds with the sheep. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's this juxtaposition of terms. The great and infinite, all-powerful God would stoop so low to be your shepherd and mine, that he would serve us. We see this reflected in the very words of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 10? He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he said, what? Lays down his life for the sheep. He literally lived with us. He left his place. Philippians 2 said that he thought not equality with, or he thought equality with God was not a thing to be grasped, in other words, to be held on to, but he gave up his position of privilege and power to live with the sheep. He embodied Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And church, this gives us a view of power that we ought to that we ought to apply or take on for ourselves. See, our world has a view of power that says that the people with the most power go at the top of the pyramid and that everyone under them exists to serve them, to make their, uh, make their wishes come true, right? To, to do whatever it is that they want, to do their bidding, to get this, whatever they need, to serve them. But Jesus did it exactly the opposite, Rather than placing himself at the top of the pyramid, he placed himself at the bottom. He served us. He took on the form of a servant. Again, Philippians 2 says, he took on the form of a servant and became obedient even to death, death on a cross. This is what Christ did for us. And he models for us, he embodies for us how we ought to think about power. You know, one of the interesting things when I read the Gospels is I never see Jesus doing a miracle for himself. Think about all of the power he had access to. Think about all the amazing miracles that he did, and yet you don't read one of those miracles was for himself. You never read about Jesus going, pizza, pizza. He could have, I would have, but he doesn't. 
He never used his power to his own advantage. He always used it to serve other people. If you want to leave a legacy, you use your power, position, influence, and privilege to serve the people around you. Do you run a business? Do you lead a law firm? Are you, a, you know, do you lead a team at a hospital? Or, 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 or are you an entrepreneur? Do, are, are you a coach, a teacher? Your position of power, are you a parent, a mother, a father? Your position of power is not so that you can make all the people around you serve you. Your position of power is to be used to serve the people around you. The weakest leaders I know, the worst leaders I know, are the ones constantly reminding everyone else that they're in charge. If you have to remind other people that you're in charge, you're a terrible leader. The best leaders don't have to remind everyone who's in charge all the time. The best leaders serve the people that they're around. And if you want to leave a legacy, if you want people around you to go, man, I loved working for him. I loved working for her. I loved the way that she invested. What do you do? You use your power, privilege, and resources to serve the other people around you. You take on the characteristics of your heavenly father. The Lord is my shepherd. You use your power to advantage other people. Number two, we see presence. One of the most famous lines, in fact, maybe the most famous line in all of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, David says. He speaks about presence. Not everything in Psalm 23 is rosy. That's one of the things that I, I, I love about the Bible, is it unflinchingly looks at the difficulty of humanity. It, it doesn't paint a picture of a world. In fact, Christianity does not hold out the promise of a life without problems. In fact, Jesus gave you a guarantee. He said, in this world, you will, not you might, you will have trouble. He said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This life is not all roses. You've been alive long enough to understand that. Christianity doesn't hold out the promise that you can, if you'll just trust in Jesus, live a life that's problem-free, worry-free. It doesn't mean that. You do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what I find interesting is that the same God who leads you to green pastures is the same God who leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes we get it in our heads that if we just trust God enough or if somehow we had enough faith that we could somehow go around the valley of the shadow of death or we could fly over it, sprout wings and fly. But that's not what happens. The comfort does not come because we avoided trouble. The comfort comes because God was with me in the trouble. And it is his presence with us that brings us comfort. There's power in your presence. I saw this in 2020. Whenever everything started to shut down in the United States, I still remember the week that it all happened. It was the most surreal week. Some of it was because the, the, the beginning of the COVID outbreak in the States happened in Oklahoma. There was a basketball game due to be played, an NBA basketball game. The Thunder were going to play. I can't remember which team it was, but they were going to play a game, I think on a Wednesday night. 
And of course, we'd been hearing, you know, on the news, all the reports of the coronavirus and all of this. And, and so I remember being uh, at dinner with my wife, Heather, that week, and um, that night, actually, and getting a text that the Thunder Game, or getting alerts on my phone that the Thunder Game, which is just a couple hours away, had been canceled because one of the players had COVID. And it was the craziest thing, because up to that point, you know, people in faraway places had it, but now it was happening in our city. And so by that weekend, we weren't having church services. I mean, it was, you know, everything was just shutting down so rapidly. And I was getting texts from congregants saying, hey, they're going to send in the National Guard. And you, you didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how, uh, you know, the world, our nation was going to react. We had no clue exactly what was going to happen. And so I was getting these reports that I needed to go get gas and get some money out of the bank, you know, just try to be prepared. And so uh, I went down to the, the, the local gas station just down the street from my house. And my son, who's uh, at that time 18 years old, maybe nine, yeah, 18, was with me. And he was taking his car as well. We were filling all the cars up with gas, just kind of preparing for it. We didn't know what. And I remember standing at the gas station, filling up the car with gas, and my son, 18, who's so independent, he was off living his own life and so forth, but this day he's at home, and he's with me at the gas station, and he looks over at me, and he just says, Dad, is everything going to be okay? He's 18, but even at 18, he wants to know that his father is going to be with him, that I think everything's going to be okay. Church, your presence matters. God's presence, being with you, when he walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death, there's a comfort in that. There's a, there's a, there's a sense that I can go through this if I'm not alone. You know what is tragic? As I look around at our world and I see so many hurting people and they're hurting alone. One of the beautiful benefits, if you will, of being a follower of Jesus is that I am a part of a family. What does this tell us this morning, if not that we're part of a family? And, and that's what Psalm 23 is trying to communicate. The Lord is my shepherd. He's with me in the good times and in the bad times. He is with me and I can count on his presence. You know, the ministry of presence is a powerful thing. If I'm being honest with you, it's not something that I've fully understood throughout my life. I'm not great at just ministering to people through my presence. My wife has taught me a lot about this. When people are going through a difficult circumstance or they're facing grief, they've been through tragedy, sometimes there are no words that you can say. Sometimes they don't even want to hear your words. They just want your presence. Just to sit with someone and say, I'm here is sometimes all that's necessary to be able to walk with someone through their own valley of the shadow of death. And what we see in Psalm 23 is that our God is committed to us in this way, to walk with us through the difficult times. But then we also see another aspect of God's presence. And this is fascinating. It, it, it comes right after walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about a rod and a staff, I don't exactly envision a warm blanket. What is a rod and a staff referring to? Well, the rod was a defensive tool for a shepherd. It was a club 
has a little kind of nodule on the end of it. In fact, you can still see some of these clubs today where, they, uh, where shepherds are still active in, in, in parts of the world. And they would use these to club a lion or a predator or you know, someone that would come to try to steal one of the sheep. So it was a defensive tool. Obviously, you can see a sheep would feel some sort of uh, a sense of, of security in that. And so David is referring to that. But the, the, the staff was used for the sheep. So the rod fights the predators and the staff fights the sheep. Now this is fascinating when you, think, when you think about it. Because if you're really going to be for someone, if you're really going to be on someone's side, it means that at certain points you have to oppose them. Have you, have you been a parent? Those of you who are parents in the room, you know this. You ever have to tell your kids, don't do that. Don't touch that stove, it's hot. Don't, don't plug that fork into the wall socket and the wall, all right? Like, that's not good for you. You oppose them for their good. See, there's two types of opposition. Some people oppose us for our harm. They want to hurt us. But some people oppose you for your good. And I think our world, we live in some, honestly, we live in such a topsy-turvy, upside-down, crazy world right now that somehow has got it into its head that if you oppose me in any way, it's because you hate me. Not true. Sometimes I oppose you because I love you. And so what we see is we see God defending us from predators, from enemies who would try to attack and hurt us. Praise God. But also we see a God who uses his staff to correct us when necessary. And what David is saying is that there's comfort in that. Because a God who doesn't correct you doesn't love you. A dad who doesn't correct you doesn't love you. A mother who doesn't correct you doesn't love you. In fact, the worst kind of parent I think to have would be the apathetic parent, the one who just doesn't care what you do. You know, it's amazing because my kids are frustrated often. I got three teenagers and one preteen right now, so I know what it is. Actually, I, I, have, I have two teenagers because my oldest son just turned 20, so, but I, I, I know what it is to have kids frustrated with you. Why? No, my, my oldest son the other day, we told him he was getting a job this summer. You would have thought the world was coming to an end. <laughs> I opposed him for his good. Son, there's no discussion here. You're getting a job. You're getting this job, this particular job we had lined out for him. He doesn't want to do it. It's not up to him. I get it, you're 16. You live in my house. This is the job that you're going to take. You're opposing them for their good. Parents, you understand how this works. God does the same with us. But here's what makes, and this is so critical that we get this, because this is all about legacy. This has so much to do with legacy. If you, if you bring correction and discipline apart or separated from presence, you divide relationships. Presence is what sustains correction. And a lot of times, 
parents or bosses, employers, we try to bring discipline or correction, but we've not made the investment of presence. And if you've never walked with someone through the valley of the shadow of death, very hard to step in and then say, now let me discipline you. And so what we, what, we're, what we ought to be doing is making the investment of presence into people. I'll give you a case in point. When I was, I don't know, 19 years old, I was an, uh, a musician. I wanted to be in a band, and without trying to give you my whole life story, I, I, I had a lot of artistic gifts. In fact, much of my kind of early ministry years were spent uh, doing different you know, ar- artistic things around the church, music and graphic design and filmmaking and all of these things. And so a lot of that began for me when I was, I don't know, 19, 20 years old, wanted to be in a band. And I was just so passionate about wanting to be in this band. At at the same time, I was working for my dad at the church. And I enjoyed what I was doing at the church, but in my mind, my dream was to follow uh, my heart and be in this band. And so I'll never forget, you know, being at home one night, informing my parents that I was going to be a world-famous rock star. You know, in my mind, it all seemed very doable at that time. Never mind that I really couldn't sing very well or play an instrument. This was going to happen. And so I'm declaring to my family, you know, this is, this is my dream. This is what I'm going to do. And so my dad, sitting in another room, overhears this. Next day, I'm at work. I get a phone call from my dad. Now, at this time, I don't know how many employees he had, maybe 100, maybe 150 employees. There's, you know, it's a decent-sized organization. I don't often get phone calls from my dad. I don't even work directly for him, although he runs the church and ministry that I'm working at. I'm not working directly for him. I have another boss and supervisor and all this. So when my phone lights up with his extension at the top, I'm a little nervous. Went, I need to see you in my office. Okay. I hang up the phone, I march down the hallway to his office, and I sit down in this wingback chair in front of my dad's big wooden desk. There was the most awkward father-son interaction you could imagine, you know, because you're used to this being your dad, but here I am in this very formal setting. He's behind a desk. I'm over here in this wingback chair, and he says, Wit, I, I, I hear this dream about you wanting to be in a band. And he said, I I understand that. I was in a band too, and I I can understand why you'd want to do that. But let me just tell you something. He said, the church and the work that we're doing here is too critical, too important for your heart to be divided. So if you want to do that, you should go pursue it. And I'll cheer you on and support you, but you're not going to work here when you do it. I need you to pick which one of these you're going to pursue. I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. I was like, are you serious? Yeah, I need, I need to know your answer. Not right now. Take, take, take a day, take two days to think about it. But I need to know, what direction are you going to go? Because with, this, is, this is too critical. The church deserves all of your heart, not just part of it. So if you're going to be here, I need you to really be here. I walked back down the hallway to my office, closed the door, honestly, fell to my knees and knelt at my desk chair. I wasn't really a praying kind of a guy, even though I was a pastor's son, but that's all I knew to do. I hit my knees. I started praying. Honestly, I, I was in tears because this was my dream. But I knew as soon as I hit the floor that I was supposed to stay. I knew that God wanted me here at the church. I went back down and told my dad, Dad, I'm in. I'm going to stay. I'll give up the, the dream of being in a band What's amazing about that, and the reason that I share that story, 
is that at 19, 20 years old, for my dad to be able to put that choice before me and me not hate him for it was all possible because of presence. Because see, my dad for years had been making investments in me, pouring into me when I was wanting to ride skateboards, he was building ramps. When I was a BMX biker in the backyard, he was digging out dirt jumps in the backyard that we had. Whatever I was into, if it was basketball, if it was football, he was into it at that same time. He had invested in me for years. And so when he came time to have a critical, difficult conversation with me, the relationship, the presence was able to sustain the conflict. If you want to leave a legacy with people, it will require you to walk through difficult things with them, and it will require you to sometimes have difficult conversations with them. Don't do it without first having made the investment of presence. Correction and discipline apart from relationship divides. What I have found is that correction and discipline with relationship binds. It actually ends up uniting people together, but it's all the product of presence. Power, presence, and finally, place. Notice how Psalm 23 ends. David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God going before David to prepare a place for him. Jesus said something similar in the New Testament. What did he say? I Go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. You know what I think is interesting is that God is a God of place. When I think about creation, I see God placing Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, not just anywhere on planet Earth, but in a specific place he had prepared for them. When I think about uh, Abraham and the call of God on Abraham's life. God called Abraham to go to a specific place, not an imaginary place, but a specific place, the land of promise, the land of Israel. He called him there. It was a specific place with borders and boundaries. He said, this is going to be your land, Abraham, and I'm not just giving it to you, but to the generations that are going to come after you. God gave him a place. When I think about what Jesus left behind in his legacy, he left behind a church, a congregation, a gathering of people who are journeying toward a specific place ourselves because the end of the Christian story is not sitting in clouds playing harps. Thank God, that's not the future. The future is a new heavens and a new earth, a physical place. So many Christians don't understand this. We just think about the sweet by and by or heaven or whatever, kind of our imagery of that in our mind is and whatever we've been sort of trained or, or deposited into as we were kids. But the end of the Christian story is not some mythical or otherworldly kind of other dimensional place. The end of the Christian story is a new heavens and a new earth and a physical body for you. Think about that. Jesus had a resurrected body. You too will have a resurrected body. Meaning we won't be see-through. We'll have a physical body that you can touch. We'll be able to give one another hugs in the next life. Like that is, that is 
the future of what God has for us. And when it talks in Romans 8 about creation groaning to be, uh, longing to be set free from its bondage to decay, what it speaks of is that this world, which is beautiful in so many ways, now will be utterly transformed and perfected one day in the future. And we'll live in a place called the New Jerusalem, which is where God will dwell. Again, God cares about physical places. Why does this matter? Well, it has everything to do with who we are and what we're about. Why would we give to a legacy offering if God doesn't care about physical places? Except that God wants to see his kingdom come in the Mississauga area as it is in heaven. Jesus told us to pray about physical places because they matter. And so it's a common thing for pastors these days to say, oh, the church is not a place, it's a people. Well, yeah, the church isn't exactly a building, but yes, it is. Because this place matters to God. Because this is where his people come and gather. This is where his kids are. And so God cares about not just the walls and space of this church building, but also this community. And so part of what it is to leave a legacy is that we prepare places for people where they can get a little taste of heaven. The idea here in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, when the world out there is chaotic and when I'm facing opposition, with you, oh God, I can have a feast. With you, oh God, there can be joy. With you, oh God, there can be peace. And so our hope here at City Church is that this place would be something of a refuge, that we would be able to carve out a little, a little corner of this city where people can come and find hope and healing and peace and a taste of the world to come. That's the idea. And so when we give and we give generously and we see those funds go to work in our city or in other churches around, uh, around the nation of Canada, what we're seeing is God's kingdom come in those places. And it may be just a taste, just a sample, but hopefully it's enough for people who pass by, who encounter us to go, something different is happening there. There's a peace there. There's a presence there that I'm hungry for, that I'm looking for God prepared prepares a place. And you can prepare that place both here within this church community, but also in your home. Your home ought to be a place of peace. Your home ought to be a place of rest, a place of refuge. You know, Heather and I's parenting goal is really simple. We want our kids to want to hang out with us when they're old enough not to have to. That's my goal. I'm not trying to raise perfect kids not trying to get them to behave just a certain way, although behavior is part of it. My overarching goal is I want relationship with them. I want them to love our place. And so I prepare a place for them. I want peace in my home. That's why I'm not gonna, if, if, if Heather and I are having difficulty, we're gonna sit down with a counselor and talk about it because the peace of my home is too critical to the next generation and to the legacy that I'm leaving for us to have turmoil and strife constantly so I prepare a place for my kids. Gang, that's what legacy is all about. It's about preparing a place so that people can encounter Jesus, so that they can encounter the Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Power, presence, and place.
Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you this morning that you have revealed to us your character. We get to see something of your nature, your heart in these verses. Such a beautiful picture, Lord, because you truly are the good shepherd. You laid down your life for us. All we are like sheep. We have gone astray and you laid on yourself the iniquity of us all. You took our sins. You took our, our mistakes, our uh, iniquity. You took it all, Lord, on yourself. You carried our burden so that we could be made right, so that we could be brought into your family, so that we could be made new, a new creation in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Help us to see who you are and then embody that in the way that we lead and love and serve our community. Father, I just pray over this church. I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in City Church in Mississauga and the greater Toronto area as it is in heaven. Father, that where sin does abound, grace will much more abound. Let this church be a lighthouse. Let this community be a lighthouse. Let their generosity shine in this community. Let other people see what they're doing and stand in amazement at the generosity and love of a community who would give to strangers, to people they've never even met, to people that, they would, people that disagree with them, people that see the world differently than them, that they would see the generosity and the kindness and compassion and be moved to, 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 to consider Christianity, to consider Jesus in a whole new way. I pray, Father, that this community would be a great representation of you and that there really truly would be a legacy here. I thank you for the work that you've started, but I know, Lord, you're still working to complete it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, you know what we're gonna do here? Let's do this one more time. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I wanna give you an opportunity if you're here today. You say, when I'm not right with God, I've never made Jesus the center of my life. You know, a lot of people believe in Jesus, but there's not as many people who put Jesus at the very center of their lives, make him number one. If that's you this morning, I wanna lead you in a prayer. We're gonna all pray this out loud together, but if you would just repeat this after me, mean this in your heart, Jesus will come into your life and it will begin to transform you from the inside out. So would you just say this after me? Repeat it after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I confess I am a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus came for me. I believe he was raised from the dead. And I confess, Jesus is Lord. Lord Jesus, take my past, my present, and my future. I am completely yours. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen.